0: Hello and welcome! This is Story You Talk Radio, and I am your host, Coach Debbie. I am here every Thursday at 4 o'clock, and that is Pacific Time, or 7 o'clock if you are in the Eastern Time Zone, or midnight if you're in Paris. And here at Story Talk Radio, we like to find out what kind of stories are you living by? How are you serving yourself with those stories? And how might I support you? Whenever I have the opportunity, I bring in a guest. And because I help first, second, and third time authors, usually that guest has recently written a book. As is today, we are going to be talking to Leslie Moffitt in just a little bit because she wrote the title of a book. It just grabbed me and hooked me in. I love my job, but it's killing me, right? This is for teachers, and you all know that's where I've spent my life. This is the teacher's guide to to conquering chronic stress and your sicknesses. And I don't think we usually think of teachers and sickness going together. And maybe that's because a lot of teachers are trying to keep that out of the classroom and great learning in the classroom. But there are many of us that have been brought to our knees that have had to admit that we're just about at the door of defeat. Leslie has chronicled an incredible book that you are going to want to pick up I love my job, but it's killing me, and it's still really hot off the press. You can get that at Amazon.com, and I recently noticed it is also available on Kindle. So what are we up to here in the Pacific Northwest? I decided to offer, in the year of 2020 and Clear Vision, a brand new writer's program, and I call it Authors 2020. I'm, I'm rolling it out three times a year. I only have one seat left if you kind of want to enter just tad late, tad. We just, we just started going in January here. It'll come out again in April and again in September. But this is when you say, you know what, I'm tired of saying I'm going to write a book, and I'm actually writing a book. This is when you say, I'm going to draft this thing and I help you make sure that first draft is ready to go in 90 days. And that doesn't mean you're all set up with your editor and that you've got your agent sending you in 500 directions. It just means that those words that you have drafted out are in front of you and it's done. It's gone from your desk to someone else's. I hope you do that. And if you're interested in that, I'd love for you to look me up at www.coachdebbie.com and that's spelled D-E-B-B-Y.com. You could even write me a little email if you want. And that address is askcoachdebbie at gmail.com, I think. Is that right? Yeah, Gmail. Debbie at gmail.com. Sorry, that changed recently. And again, it's D-E-B-B-Y. If you're listening live, I always love to take your questions. You can do that on Facebook and just go over to the Messenger side. Or if you head on over to my personal page, you're going to see that I've got all kind of links going on for today's show. You can put your comment down below. So my personal page is Debbie Handrich. Remember, we spell that D-E-B-B-Y and Handrich, it's just like it sounds, H-A-N-D-R-I-C-H. Or you can go to my Facebook Coach Debbie page. And I'd love to hear from you. I find that most people do text or do write but if you are courageous, why don't you go ahead and call? The phone number here is 1 298 5569. That's right. Mm hmm. Someday I'm going to have that darn thing. One eight 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 two nine eight five five six nine. 298 5569. And when you call, who are you going to talk to? Eric. you can going to talk to Eric.
1: Yes, indeed. I'm standing by waiting to take those calls. So we'd love to hear from you. If I can just throw out the number one more time, it's 888-298-5569. That's also 888-298-KKNW.
0: He does that so well, I don't even know why I try. That's great. And you'll, you'll get his voice, and he's the same man that is telling you all about the weather. And boy, have we had some weather.
1: We definitely have. You survived okay? You look great, so you must have.
0: Yeah, I didn't step foot outside. That's how it works. <laughs> very I just, smart. Yeah. I live in West Seattle. I hung out. I enjoyed the view. I have one of those gas fireplaces, you know, you just flick the switch.
1: Sounds nice. Yeah. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here when I say that it's your birthday as well. Is that right?
0: Oh, it is. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. I love working on my birthday when I get to come here. Yeah, this is good stuff. And teaching in the classroom—that was always fun on my birthday because people would bring me cake and try and improve their grades. You know, and, oh, <laughs> did yeah. that work? Huh? Well, I don't know, but it made them think <laughs> <don't> it <laughs> did. Yeah, made them think it was working. So you yeah. got an A
1: plus on the cake, you got a D minus on the paper. Oh <laughs> no, no,
0: you got to wait twelve weeks to find out the truth. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Yes, I hope to be dining well. Are you listening, my honey? How about we go to the top of the Hyatt and eat to our heart's content tonight? Ooh, that sounds so good. But if not, that's okay. But if so, that sounds great. Yeah, your birthday, it only comes once a year. And I like to celebrate always for the entire month. There were times when I was a teacher where being in the classroom and having a little cake and being with my students was the beginning and end of birthday time. And that's because I was working a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hours. Well, my guest today knows what this is all about. My guess is she did it with a heck of a lot more grace than I did. And I wanted to know all about her book. I love my job, but it's killing me. So, Today, I bring to you Leslie Moffett, and she is from the Pacific Northwest. Were you born and raised here, Leslie? Yes, ma'am. She was born and raised here in the Pacific Northwest. She is the daughter of two teachers. One, a teacher like herself, a music teacher. She is currently at Jackson High School in Mill Creek, And she is in her fourth decade of teaching. So, I mean, my hat is off to her. I think I was just stepping into my third decade when I went, oh, man, this is hard work. She is uh, in rooms full of band students, 75 students or so at a time. She's taking them to Carnegie Hall, Royal Caribbean. Is that right?
2: couple of cruise ships
0: disney all over the place they have done so well and she has given them all of her love all of her attention but in doing so she got a bit sick so we had to bring her in here because like many of us when you're on your heroic journey you're learning 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 so much and If you have the praise and the grace and the gift to survive it, well, then you have a story to tell. So without further ado, I welcome Leslie Moffat in. How are you today?
2: I'm just great and happy
0: birthday, Debbie. Thanks
2: for inviting (laughs) me here. I
0: keep forgetting it's my birthday. It's so funny. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here on my birthday so we can have all kinds of fun together. I really love to bring in local people and share things that I'm passionate about. So books, students, and teaching. Wow. We got a lot in Yeah. <laughs> I really struck gold with you. So what, what we want to know here is, first of all, the pretty side of the story. You are a music teacher. What, what got you going way, way back when that, that you knew this was going to be your calling and the thing that just might hold your attention for four
2: decades. There was no doubt in my mind. And it started before I was even thought of because my mom and dad met in the University of Washington Husky Marching Band. And so their honeymoon was going on a band trip to the Rose Bowl. So even before I was about, it was like the band was a big part of our lives. And then my dad was a high school band director. My mom taught English. And um, everything we did revolved around the band. We would go on band trips. We would be at, I'd go to school with my dad and I hung around that. And it's all I ever knew and it's everything I wanted to do and as a kid I grew up in Edmonds and I was part of my dad's high school band as a student Um, so I got to experience being a child who was growing up around this and then to be one of his students in the band and and experience it that way and then going off to college to learn to do this because I wanted to provide that same kind of experience for students because it was so magical and magnificent being a part of a of something bigger than yourself and the the band you work together you there's so many great things about it and you're playing music. I mean why wouldn't I have done that? It's it's uh, it it was never never not an option.
0: Yeah, and I lo- I love that. I love it when people know this is where I'm going. Mm-hmm. This is the path I'm on and and we see a, a clear shot at that. When you look back, do you think of teachers that I mean, I I know you had two incredible role models in your home, but were there
2: teachers that emulated what you could see yourself being? It wasn't always how they taught so much. It was how they treated us, and it was that personal connection that mattered to me before the content I didn't like one of my teachers, so I taught him a lesson by not doing very well in his class. I'm sure that, you know, but it was like I couldn't connect with the teacher and it made it hard for me to connect with history because of that. And I really I look back and I go, that was really dumb on my part. But that's such an important piece. And I was lucky to have teachers that really were nurturing and caring. And so they cared about how I did. So then I cared about learning more. And so there were a lot of them that really um, I I learned from them by watching how they, or noticing how they made me feel and realizing I want to make students feel that way. And Uh so those are the kinds of people that were really inspiring to me.
0: And I know you did. I know you did make them feel that way. The, The thing that I'm always hearing from people is that they had an experience or two or three with a teacher and they decided from that point on that teachers were scary. And I have always, always said teachers treated me like gold. I I mean, I was so lucky. I always had great experiences with teachers. And every now and then there was one that that was a little, you know, just in general tough on the whole group, Mm -hmm. not me. But because of that, not only did my mom fortify the idea when I was about four years old, you'll make a great teacher— Because I was a good big sister, Mm -hmm. but the teachers helped me see. I want to be like them, you know. I want. I want to do this, and so I think there are many of us that know early on. I've talked to so many teachers that knew. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be that. So how surprising it is when you're doing what you're loving. And these funny symptoms start to show up in your life. And it doesn't really correlate. Like, how is it that I could be doing what I love and exhausted? What were some of those early symptoms that were just starting to show up and and slow you down, point to you that this wasn't working out as well?
2: Lots of physical things at first. And that would start with small, irritating things like physical pain or a cold but I was too busy to, to take care of that or to, to do the things I needed to do to, to, to keep it in check. And those things would snowball out of control, turning into pneumonia, ending up in the hospital, or um, aches and pains that would um, be like uh, get worse and worse injuries, and I'd end up with surgeries and the like. And I, I had such a hard time uh, trying to take care of myself because I, you said it, you, when you want to be a teacher and you want to do all those things, that becomes your drive. And you get so focused on that that everything else gets in the peripheral visions and doesn't seem as important important or as urgent as that next concert or the upcoming um, festival that you're doing or the trip that you're planning or the fundraiser and just so much coming at you at light speed. There's no opportunities to really take that up, uh, to let our bodies slow down and heal. I noticed after decades of this it takes me a while to learn lessons sometimes but my husband oh, and I started yeah. noticing yeah started noticing patterns when were the major surgeries and illnesses during the school year mm. come late July and august I'd start to settle into a, a you know i i wouldn't wouldn't be so worn out and exhausted I would just start to you know get healthier and then school would start again and that would start up that cycle of not enough sleep i mean jazz bands for as a high school band director I had to be at school at six every morning because I had four jazz bands that start at 6.30. So I'm there at 6 in the morning, but I would have been at school two, three nights a week for basketball games or football games or concerts or meetings or rehearsals till 9.30 or 10. So there was, you know, those 12, 14-hour days easily. And then I raised three children of my own, including, you know, being pregnant and nursing and doing all those things. My own three children, 300 of other people's children, and all the instruments, and I loved, loved, loved it. Oh, I get And it. I was willing... I, I, nobody put this on me except myself. It's my own darn fault I got where I was.
0: Well, it's your own darn it, um, dedication that we end up on a path that that screams out, "Hey, maybe there could be a better way." I, I mean, we don't get there out of out of pure selfishness. We're we're wanting to serve, and I mean, listen to Debbie defend all teachers here. So. We are coming up on our first break, but I bet you're rolling down the freeway right now going, she's telling my story. And if that's so, I want you to think about calling in or pulling that car over and sending us a little text. We're going to be right back after this first break.
2: Hi, I'm Kathy Cooper, and every Wednesday from 1 to 2 p.m., I'll be hosting Lost and Found. We'll be discussing all types of losses, but it's not going to be the doom and gloom hour. It'll be an hour of education, support, validation, and yes, we will have a little bit of humor. So won't you join me Wednesdays, 1 to 2 p.m., Lost and Found, because every loss matters, and through every loss, something can be found.
3: Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world. their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: Welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. If you are just tuning in, today we are talking to the author Leslie Moffat, who wrote the book, I Love My Job But It's Killing Me. And you know how this feels. It doesn't matter what job you're in. Every now and then, you go through that dichotomy of, I love it. It's killing me. I love it. It's killing me. I love it. It's killing me. But part of the reason this book jumped off the shelf and into my hands was because I recognized the dark black background and then the bright red apple on top of the nice school books. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if that author and I would have something to talk about Lo and behold, we do. And Leslie is here today to share with you her experiences of recovering, and I mean completely recovering, some really profound poor health situations. But it didn't become that way because she was lazy or eating too much popcorn during summer break or anything ridiculous like that. This happened because she was dedicated and serving her students and wearing herself out. And early on in the book, she said this quote that in one way, it's so basic. And in another way, it absolutely cracked me up. She just said, taking care of myself had been off my radar for years. And I, I literally just started laughing so hard because I, I remembered it as a teacher myself, how in the very early days I went to yoga at a particular time and then I would do my juicing and then my husband and I would do tai chi and we had this regular thing and then by year 5 you know I was I was throwing popcorn at him and not going to yoga and not doing any of that because I had a job and how come nobody understood that I had a job and it was 60 70 hours and well Leslie understands. And I know that there are many of you thinking, wow, finally, finally we're talking about this. Leslie took her band students all over Pray Tell. And my guess is when you're doing this, you have just a little bit of extra, oh, shall we say responsibility, because parents probably want to know how it's all going. And did you find that you had a certain image to uphold and, and that that was part of the reason that that the health wasn't being acknowledged. I, what were the things right on the forefront of your mind that you knew, this is what I got to take care of?
2: Well, when you make a commitment to take 181 teenagers to Disneyland, yeah. you don't back out of that. That would be very bad. Um, and so you get that adrenaline going and that Whatever it is that makes you get through those, those things that are so hard and it puts the other things on the back burner. The fact that your sore throat might be coming up or you're getting headaches or, or you're gaining weight but you can't figure out why and your joints are hurting. But that doesn't matter because you've got a fundraiser to do or something to get ready for. And that sense of urgency, it always seemed like everything else was more important. But um, I took those responsibilities really seriously. When you plan a trip, it might not happen until May but the production and the planning of it and the, you know, all of those things, there are so many moving pieces and those take a lot of time and energy and you're still teaching every day all of the classes and all of the kids. So, so that was, um, that was something that, that has taken a lot of, of challenge to learn to designate, delegate, and still make sure things get done and it's been, um, I've been super blessed to have a a super supportive team. I have a husband who's amazing at uh, running the trips uh, behind the scenes and doing all of that stuff. The parents who get involved and help the students who get on committees. So it really is a team effort. But again, managing all that, just that was the part that became so hard. Um, And, but I would get through that part, and then I would collapse after the trip or after the big events. My body would just shut down, and sometimes I'd miss school for a day or two, but more likely a week, or sometimes surgery would come up, and it would—it uh, was really impacting my ability to serve my students because I started to realize when I'm sick and I'm not showing up for school or I'm going to school when I feel really yucky and I can't really focus, I'm not serving them well because I'm, first of all, setting a terrible example of how to treat oneself. Cause, and then... Um, I'm not modeling that. But then also I'm just not as good of a teacher. And none of us can be when we're just not our, able to, to be at our peak. So I learned the hard way or after many years that I can better serve my students and my community when I take care of myself and can do it from a place where I'm fully present with them and I'm not scatterbrained and I'm not hurting and I'm not over-exhausted. So. I take my responsibility really seriously, but now I've learned that part of my responsibility is taking care of me so I can take care of all those kids in my care.
0: Mm, well said. Very good. And, and we have to be that responsible person. They're, they're always looking at us. They're always making their assessments of what their future will be like when they watch us. And and we're not really thinking about that. We're thinking about their future. They're thinking about their future. But they're thinking about their future through the eyes of watching ours, you know. And all this complication and confusion comes up because there's one thing we got to do, and that's teach. <laughs> hey, I want to say hello. Abby, thank you. Thank you for reaching out, my happy teacher friend here. Yes it is my birthday. Yes I am getting very old. But thank you for listening here. And we also have Colleen who says I'd like to ask a question of this topic around responsibility. I have only been teaching for a few years now, but I'm already starting to see the writing on the wall. Uh-oh. Hey, we don't
2: <laughs> It's graffiti. It's
0: just, yeah, right. <laughs> well said. It's just graffiti. Already starting to see the writing on the wall. What do you think about a sabbatical as a way of just mental health and then coming back at it? Or is it that you will be coming up with some part-time remedies? Or where is it you're heading with this conversation? Sabbatical, part-time, I'm not sure. But I don't think you're encouraging us to give up teaching. No.
2: Not at all. No. Not at all. Uh, because teaching is so rewarding. It's so important, and I, uh, we teachers have the ability to shape the future, and right now we are so important. What I, My mission is to help teachers find, and it's going to be different for everybody, but find the strategies that work for them that allow them to stay in the classroom so they've got that energy and things in place so that they can continue to teach. And I think that there's a lot of pieces to this. I think our s- educational system does not make that easy we are given, I had a job that should have been two or three people, and most teachers out there do. I don't know a teacher that checks out of the building when school's out and doesn't go home and grade the papers, and I mean, it's just all-encompassing, and so I think there's a lot of different levels on this, and that's why I think starting this conversation, um, or continuing the conversation here about how do we set things, set the schools up too differently, and how do we, there's, there's a lot of that, but in the meantime, while things are the way they are. How do we as teachers survive or thrive? Imagine that. I was trying to survive, and I didn't know how I could thrive. As I began to take care of my own health and get a grasp on that, um, and Colleen was asking like a sabbatical or anything like that, um, I needed. I ended up missing a lot of school at the end of, in 2017, I missed the last couple months of school and then had the summer. So it felt sort of like a mini sabbatical. I was. I was ill. I was struggling. But that time, Away from what I loved so much allowed me to really look at: um, Do I want to go back? Can I go back? And the answer was: I absolutely have to go back because it's what I I love. And then I went into my principal's office and said: I need to be able to come back and do this in a sustainable way so I can be in the classroom. What are some things we can do? I can't be out three nights a week at sporting events and at six thirty. I have classes going at 6:30 in the morning. So, Oof. so yeah. So working out, you know, some strategies, I've been blessed to have this administration in our, in our Everett public schools that have been really supportive. And, um, and we've found some ways to, to have our drumline go do some of the events instead of the entire band. Cause you know, our students are getting stressed and stuff too.
0: For sure. they're,
2: yeah. They're getting overbooked and wonder why they're watching the adults in their lives do this and then they're doing it. And we're wondering why the kids come to us stressed and full of anxiety and all of that. Maybe the adults in the li- in their lives are are stressed out. And so it's what they're seeing. And like you said, they watch us. Mm-hmm. And if we're doing that, that must be what they're supposed to do, right? Over schedule, overwork. Yeah. They're not healthy then either. And no. we've got to teach more than content. We've got to teach some life skills.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I was just sitting with my sweetie and binge watching the beginning to end of uh, Parenthood that was a really, really popular show in like 2010 to 15. You at all familiar I, with that? I'm not. Well, one of the families in it, um, they go nonstop all day long, all day long. And one of the children in the family has Asperger's. And so it was is watching this family just you know, now we're off to soccer. Now we got to go and get him at baseball. Now, now you're going to run for class president. You're not going to drop out of being class president. Now I have to go do that. And it was just this constant, constant thing. And I remember watching it and thinking, I wasn't, I wasn't really aware that there was an expectation, you know, to be on such a, a high, high schedule. But I can tell you as a teacher, I was never a model of how to take care of yourself. Ever. I, I never was. The only thing I was modeling was how to journal and complain and get it all out of your system. But <laughs> but how to take care of yourself, that just that just was not what I was up to. And in your story, Leslie, we find out that in two thousand seventeen, that's when things really started to combust. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I actually that April had gone to my doctor and said, I must have like early onset dementia because I can't remember anything. And he said, you're on the high, you know, I said, maybe it's my attention deficit disorder. And he said, well, you're on the highest dose of drugs you can be on for that. So we can't up that. And he goes, you know, it's just stress. And I, my first response was, I love my job. So it can't be stress. Cause I always thought stress meant bad things. So I didn't understand that. And then he used the word just, when you I say know. something is just something, it makes it, it downplays it. And I don't think that was intentional, but, I kept hearing it's just stress, so it shouldn't be that big a deal in my own head. I kept telling myself that. And then I realized stress is what is taking me down here. Um, And that it was at that point where I had uh, gotten unhealthy weight, so it was uncomfortable to move and walk because all my joints hurt. Um, And everything just came to a head. And I I really had a hard time doing anything except focusing on how to get healthy at that point because the other alternative wasn't looking very good.
0: At what point did you think... You know, not only am I going to have to take care of myself, but I want to start sharing this message with others.
2: Were you still sick? or well, It's funny because it was um, after I had started feeling better and figuring out a lot of what to do. I have this friend named Barb whose students I had had in um, school many years ago who was uh, also a writer in in our local Mill Creek Living magazine, was doing an article about our music program and the like. And so she interviewed me and did this. And after talking with her for an extended period of time and all, she said, you know, Leslie, you really should write a book. Well, Barb, (laughs) she shouldn't have planted that seed. She did plant that seed. And then for months I thought about, well, that's kind of cool. And so... After as as I was getting healthier and the like, I was still pondering. I wonder what I'd write a book about. And my dear friend Lori, who was a choir teacher at another high school in our district, at that point was in stage four uh, ovarian cancer. And unfortunately for her, her health was taking the opposite way. And we, for twenty years, have been friends, raising our children, um, struggling with our health all the time. And we would sit in her couch or uh, in her family room, um, or at her chemo appointments, and we would talk about our jobs, which we dearly loved. And the phrase that we repeat over and over was, I love my job, but it's killing me because the stress. And we, we started to acknowledge that we, it took us a long time, but we figured out that, that that was a contributing factor to our inability to stay well or get well. And so, um, yeah, that's when it was really, uh, she, she then um, said, you got to share with people what you've done. So Barb planted the seed. Lori really said, you got to write about what you've done. And um, then I did. Yeah,
0: and I'm glad you did. And so we should just say hello to Barb, and we send our best out to Lori, wherever she may be, probably just hanging out somewhere nearby, awfully proud, awfully proud. And one of the things about being so dedicated and committed and serving Leslie is that you're going to have students that are going to come back And want your advice later on. So one student that I know about, a young man named Justin, well, probably to you doesn't seem like a young man because you knew him as a boy, but now as a young man in his early 40s is thinking that he uh, he needs a mentor. And where does he go? He goes back to his band teacher.
2: How does that feel? Yeah, he reached out on Facebook recently but um, uh, saying, I saw that you wrote a book, and I have an idea. Would you talk to me about it? And so we got together at Starbucks, and uh, I shared what I had done, and he talked about the journey he's been on. And he has always been an inspiring kid. He was that kid in class who could sense when someone else was down or or needed a friend or whatever. And he was just the guy that could just bring anybody into the room feeling good. And um, I see him now as being an inspirational speaker and using a book as a way for him to refine his message and get out there and share it because he's so magnetic and he has so much much good that he can do. And um, I'm super excited because as he talks about getting a mentor, I know that's how you go from idea to done. And mm-hmm. and so I, that was my big thing. I was like, you've got to get somebody to help you. You know, I don't know, Debbie, if you're aware that in 1989, I had just finished my first year at teaching and I thought I knew everything. So I wrote a book back then. It's, um, it was essentially on a typewriter and it was one copy and I took it to, uh, was it Kinko's or Staples yeah, and had it yeah. bound and I put it on my shelf, and it sat there for 30 years. Nice. My purpose with it was I thought I had learned everything there was to know about teaching after spending <laughs> one year doing it, so I was writing this book to save everyone else all the grief. Um, but because I really only had typed up a draft, and I didn't know what to do with it next, and it never really, that book never got to help anybody. And once this process started and I decided I needed to hire a coach, it was 90 days, like you are talking about, from idea to done, because somebody then helped me organize my thoughts. And I'm so excited because somebody's going to help Justin do that. He's going to have a book, probably ninety days or so, that will allow him. It will be that that thing out there that he can show people. I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through, and he becomes that beacon of light who can help others, because these stories. There are people out there that are struggling.
0: He does. He does that, and there are so many like that. I mean, I know for for me, I can't go back to the, the neighborhood where I taught for so long and not run into someone at the gas station or the grocery store. God forbid that's the hair, the day I'm having just terrible bad hair day or, you know, I walked out of the house in my dirtiest of all sweats. But they, they show up and, and 10, 15, 20 years later they remember us. And, and it comes back to that dedication to teach, healthy or not, the dedication to teach. And you know this in many of the other professions as well. So I hope, dear listeners, you are relating to this. If you want to know more about writing a book or asking Leslie about that, you can send in your questions now. We are going to take our last break and we will be right back after this
2: Raising awareness, touching hearts, and saving animals' lives.
3: Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound-chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring a white-gray-brown-black brindle. Simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, oh, the happy dance. So common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Sachma is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150.
0: This is Story You Talk Radio, and I'm Coach Debbie. We are back after a quick break, and we're talking today with Leslie Moffat about her new book, I Love My Job But It's Killing Me, and she had to go through quite a journey many of you know that i focus a lot on our heroic journeys she went through quite a journey of sickness and surgeries and recoveries before she went from the philosophy of really surviving to really thriving you should see what a gorgeous woman she is in real life and I hear there was a time in which she carried a lot more weight and she was in and out of the hospital and taking lots of pills. And this story might be one that you are in and you are not sure how you're going to get out because you love your job, too. And how is it that we deal with these real life stories? For Leslie, she is in band and is it true, Leslie, that band was more of a male's occupation
2: than than a woman's when you entered it, or was it even? Well, as a matter of fact, in the early 1960s, my mom was at the UW and wanted to be a band director and was told that that wasn't an appropriate career for a female. Oh, not appropriate, eh? Not appropriate. Mm. So she lived vicariously through my father's job. She married a band director then. So um, I didn't... There's not many women in the generation above me that were band directors or raising children and doing high school bands. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a trip doing this without that ahead of me. Exactly. And we, we have to remember
0: as women, I, I was telling Leslie before the show that, that I, re- I remember a very critical point in my career where I just made the decision that I was going to either go ahead and, and leave my job as a teacher, which I couldn't imagine doing, and having a baby and starting a family, or I would continue on my path. But there was no way, based on what I knew about teaching already, there was no way that I could have both. I couldn't foresee how you could have both. And then I remember one day having a panic attack and calling my mother and saying, Mom, I got 75 kids. How did this happen? But it, it was that sense of, you know, huge responsibility. When, when you're in a job, you're loving so much. You, you feel like there are certain choices you can't have as a woman who values family and yet you did it you have 3 daughters i do you have 3 daughters so what did that look like being a a brand new mom and a teacher
2: man i had a lot of built in babysitters oh that's for sure um but it i raised my children around the band every like like i was raised my kids were such a part of the program all the time they came on the trips to the games with us, to the concerts. So it became a way of life for our family. Um, And then we're really fortunate to live in the community where I teach. So for 12 consecutive years, I had one of my own children in my classes as well. So as I put in those long hours and the extra time, I would tell myself it was okay because my own kids were part of that. They were coming back and doing the evening events and stuff too. I'm not going to lie. I, there were I look back and I and even in the moments there were times where I felt like I couldn't give my own children what I felt like they deserved because there was always something that felt more pressing at school. It was easier to have my own children understand if I couldn't do something right away than it would be to explain to a parent why I couldn't deal with something else. And and I I look back and older and wiser I probably would do things differently now, but um I'm really lucky that my kids were part of the same program I was in so that we shared so much of that together. That was if they had been in a different school and I had been doing all of this in my own program, I don't think it would have worked as well.
0: Yeah, I understand. We have another question here from two very conscientious moms who are hanging out right now on the beach. Good job. Good job, Carla and Vicki. So glad you're there, but they have a very important question, uh, one of them with a a boy in I guess it's either late middle school or early high school and and then the other with kids that have finished college, except for one, one still in college, and they're sharing here with us that really the big issue for them has always been around the guilt-. <sighs> You know, what do you do when the guilt arises? How can you balance out what you think needs to be done and what's
2: got to be done?
0: Is this something you can speak to around? Uh,
2: Yeah, I actually, um, after in 2017, when I was struggling so much, I sought sought out help from various people. Mm -hmm. Of course, a doctor, but then a naturopath, an acupuncturist, and a counselor. And that counselor helped me deal with I guess you could say guilt because I felt a lot of guilt but, but but the solution to that, the strategy, was let's put up some boundaries. Boundaries to let parents know when it isn't okay to really drop their kids' assignments off at your house. Their kid, you know, should have turned them in at school. Oh yeah. dear. I mean we were, there, <laughs> was, there was there were some boundaries that were being crossed, but you know why? Because I let them. Oh, okay. I was I doing understand. so much at work because I kept saying I'll take on more you know, I'll have the band do more things. So, so this this counselor that I saw was help. Uh, she gave me homework. She was helping me. Um, at, in August, I was seeing her, and I and I had gone to her because I said I'm terrified to go back to work. I've spent the last several months making huge shifts in my health because I was not at school. It had been summertime and the like, and as I was making these huge shifts in my health, um, I s- totally forgot what I was talking. Um, well, sometimes when uh, we're making huge
0: shifts in our health, we, we lose track of where our real boundaries are.
2: Oh, and, and that's exactly what was happening. And so what she did is she helped me. She said, if you're going to go back to school, what would it take? And I said, well, I can't have all of these interruptions. I can't have people um, in my face all the time. Just all these things. She said, have you ever had boundaries? Have, and, I, and she said, have you ever told people, <laughs> it's not okay to call you at home at night? And I said, oh, I would oh. hate to hurt their feelings. I yeah, can't do that. And she said, well, you're asking for it then. Oh. And so like Carla and Vicky are saying here, you know, that guilt came from me. I, I felt guilty then putting up boundaries at first, but she made me write a, page to my, a cover page to my syllabus that outlined, here's when I'm available. Here are my office hours. If you want to meet with me, here's how to do that. Here's my email. I'll respond within 24 hours. Just some basic things that I now look back and go, well, duh. Well, I was terrified. I put that out there. And when I passed that out at school, I thought, oh, this is going to be it. Everybody's going to be mad. I was bracing myself. (laughs) The guilt. And, you know, parents did contact me. I'm not going to lie. And they said things like, it took you long enough. Or it's good that you did this. And all of it was positive, pretty much. People saying, good for you. And then they started to recognize that I was, I've had people say it. You're different in the classroom now and you're different outside of it because it's like when I'm there and when I'm with the kids now, I'm all in. Yeah. But then when I'm not, I don't have to feel guilty or anything because I give them my all and then I can shift gears because um, I've said now I'm blocked out my family time. Now there are times when there have to be exceptions and we have to be flexible. But by learning to put boundaries up, my guilt isn't there anymore because I'm actually teaching people how to treat, you know, you teach people how to treat you if you let mm-hmm. them You know, if you let yourself get overburdened and people keep asking you to do stuff because you keep saying yes, it's because you keep saying yes. So you have to say, what is it I need to be saying yes to and I want to be saying yes to that really matters? And let the rest of that stuff go. Mm. And it's freeing. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If it does upset somebody, well, you know, that might be a trade-off. But what is it doing to you? And are you serving the greater good if you're a hot mess? Probably not. No. (laughs) I wasn't.
0: No. And we we have to keep in mind that the goal is really to evolve into someone that thrives and that doesn't just survive. You're, You're a popular girl. We got another question here. So Sandra wants to know, before you wrote this book, did you think of yourself as a writer? You're really inspiring me to share from my own platform as well. But I know... I am not a writer, did you feel that you became a better writer as you came along, or did you always have a sense that even though I'm known as a band teacher, underneath it all, I'm a writer?
2: No, I only ever thought of myself as a band teacher for Ah. a career. I didn't, a writer. I mean, I wrote a lot of stuff, and I liked writing, and if I hadn't taught band, I would have taught English, but it was all, my focus was all about this. (laughs) But what I found when I started writing is the coach that I worked with, instead of writing a chapter, writing another chapter, she taught me how to write a story about me and and how to dig and answer those questions and how to find in my story what I could share with others. So it became um, more like our conversation here. It was those prompts that helped me craft it so that the writing of the book was actually really easy and took about three days after doing the prep work over the course of a couple of months but it's asking the questions and doing that that helps turn it's like you're doing a bunch of different puzzle pieces and the writing then comes once you start to to craft those pieces and think about those so so Sandra I just want to tell you you know if you have a journal or anything you're writing down um, notes in your phone take all of those things and put them all together and then um either yourself or grab somebody, grab a coach that can help you do it. And, and the story will flow when you start to find what it is you're meant to talk about.
0: Mm, I agree, Sandra, There there is a lot of flow in your natural experience of being in story. And if you'd like to have a deeper conversation about that, I hope you would consider reaching out to me at coachdebbie.com and I would be happy to offer to you that first hour for free for helping us out with a nice question. It was very pertinent to our topic here. We only have about five minutes left, so what sort of burning questions can I come up with here? One thing I would I would love to know is as you as you committed to going through the process of of writing uh, the book, was there anything that you thought I really must share? This it might might be personal, but I really everyone's just got to know this thing. It's burning on my heart. I've I've got to tell this piece. Was
2: there? My I think my purpose was to give other people hope that when it feels like it's can't get any better, it really can. Mm-hmm. um and it will if you can do the if you have the tools to do it because I felt for a long time like oh I'm just in this rat race and I can't get out of it and I couldn't keep my head above water and I think that there were so many pieces that were a part of that that the the one thing that I wanted to do wasn't maybe a story in particular except the whole idea of um when you when you really 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 know you have to make a change I mean when you get to that point you have to listen to your heart and do it because yeah. if you don't you just it, you can't get out of that loop.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you find that as you were writing, anything came to you, and and you thought, "I'm I'm going to talk about this more." Any like I often find, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about what it means to have a low thyroid. Nobody cares about that. And then you found yourself getting into it and realized, I bet people do care about this. I bet this does translate to other people.
2: Well, I started yeah with the food piece. I didn't think anybody'd ah. be that interested in what I'm eating because who, ca- you know, it's like. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I realized th- that that's such a core piece the, f- the the food we put in our bodies are the building blocks of our cells and of everything else. And I started thinking that impacts everybody. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was interesting to me because I uh, heard from a man named Paul. Who's a retired music teacher in Pennsylvania, and he came across the ebook and he read it out loud to his wife a lot. And his wife ended up going to her doctor and taking the food chart I had put in there of different things, and she eliminated gluten based on what I had said and got and it helped with her health issues um, that she had been dealing with. And it was food stuff. So I thought, oh, I'm really glad I listened to my gut there and and included, you know, some of this where I wasn't sure, including stuff about some food things and meal choices I I was making that helped me feel better really belonged in a book, you know, like this. But um, it's a piece of the puzzle that that really is important um, I'm hearing from people. And I've heard from more than one person just about that particular part that I really was thinking, I don't know if I want to put all those details in. But those are important because those are parts of the healing process I went through.
0: Absolutely. Are you going to take this book uh, to any of the bookstores in Seattle and read out loud to an audience?
2: I would love that. I'll take invitations for that. It actually hits bookstores April 7th, and I'm not um, uh, so soon. We'll be finding out which stores it'll be in and airports and the like. So um, I'm really excited for that. I love doing the in-person. I've been doing some readings at uh, book clubs, different book clubs, uh, at the yoga place where I go. So I'm my purpose is to get out there, and I love sharing the book and sharing what I've learned with groups of teachers uh, not just music teachers. I work with music teachers in my band director boot camp, but, but uh, taking this to professional development and talking to teachers about some strategies they can use to reduce some of the stress. Even if you know we can't always control the external stress, yeah. But we can. There are some things we can do to our internal stress. Some of those things I learned, like some boundaries, some simple things you can do to start getting a ch- things to change, so that you can get out of that that rut or that feeling like you're in a free fall and you just can't keep your head above water.
0: That's perfect. In our last few seconds here, you tell us a little about the download you have available.
2: Yes, I would love to offer your listeners a free download of the ebook, book And uh, they can get that by going to my website, which is the letter M, as in Moffitt, M-Powered, P-O-W-E-R-E-D, Educator, E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R.com slash contact c-o-n-t-a-c-t and if you go to empowered slash contact you'll just pop in your email address and i'm going to send you a free copy of the ebook right away oh
0: nice lovely we'll have that available to you you might even be able to see some of that in my links awesome and i i just want to thank you for coming down here the book is full of m powered methods and snap strategies and great ways to eat and we'll have to have you back, Leslie. Thank you so much. Thank you and have a great
2: celebration with your sweetie.
0: Oh, thank you. And I'll be back here next Thursday with more for you writers. Until then, namaste, my friends.